Okay, scripture reading this morning is Acts 9, 31 through 43. When you get that, I guess you're already standing, so just go ahead and get off start. So the church throughout of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydia, where he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately got up, and all who lived at Lydia and Sarum saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Darcius. Then this woman was abundant with the deep of kindness and charity, which she continued, continually did. And it happened that at this time she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body and laid her up later in the upper room, since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Jesus was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter aroused and went with them. When he arrived, he brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcia used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and kneeled down and prayed and turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up and called the saints and widows and presented her alive. And because and because knowing all over because it was known all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord, and Peter stayed as many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Thank you. You can be seated. anyone but good morning to everyone. Brandon, I missed you this morning. Good morning. <laughs> um, it's good to see each one here. I want to welcome you here. Um, Ron, I left myself a note because I wanted to ask you again because I didn't write fast enough. Would you say your address again? Acts 9, 31 through 43, the Savior among the saints is the title of our message this morning. Let me open with a word of prayer. And uh, we'll begin. The Savior among the saints. Um, talked in recent weeks about going on road trips, and in in a way, we're going we're going on a bit of a journey with uh, Peter here. Luke is taking us along on a road trip with Peter. And when you go on a road trip, you might take a few pictures along the way so you can look back and remember those things that you saw and that you did and you can recognize milestones along the way as well and if you're familiar with Acts at all you know that uh, as you come out of Acts chapter 9 and move into Acts chapter 10 the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles and when that happens it's a major milestone in the history of the church it's a major milestone in the book of Acts but there's a there's an interlude here there's a 
there's something that happens prior that we're looking at this morning here, and I don't want us to just skip past that. So Luke brings us along as Peter's traveling companions in our text today. Uh, we're going to touch on verse 31 in a minute, but in verse 32 it says, Now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. So there is Peter traveling along for the ride today. You know, there are those who believe, there are those people. <laughs> you look at these notes. There are people who believe that God created everything. And when He did that, He just wound everything up like a clock and He just set things in motion. And then He's just hands off after that. And those people are called deists. But we know, if we read the Old Testament, that is not the case, that God was involved in all kinds of ways, in, in many different places. God was involved in the activities of mankind. And if you think about that another way, there might be this thought, or maybe it wouldn't be in your conscious mind, that Jesus set the church in motion during the church age, and since then He's been just kind of hands-off. He's not involved in any way. But I'm here to say that that is not the case. Jesus is involved. He is the Savior that is among the saints. He's, he's with us here this morning. He is. He has an active role in what is going on in our lives. That's the picture that we have in the book of Acts. I want to speak to you this morning about recognizing the presence and power of Christ among the saints. We know that Luke is a bit of a historian. When he writes, I wanted to put together an orderly account of all that happened. Oh, excellent, Theophilus. He's a bit of a historian. He takes time with those things. And in the book of Acts, it's very similar. He pieces together various narratives to describe the progress and the power of the early church. He pieces together these various narratives. It's not an exhaustive list of everything that goes on. So it's, 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 it's these various narratives as the church fulfills its Christ-given purpose. Its Christ-given purpose you can find in, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. He gives the church purpose. And, and as we look at the book of Acts, we see the church fulfilling that purpose. And as Luke opens the book of Acts, uh, he opens by speaking about his former treatise or his former work, which is the Gospel of Luke, in which he says, with regard to that work, he wrote of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. It wasn't exhaustive either that the that the, in, the implication is is that Jesus is still doing a work and still teaching so what we have in the in, in acts really is a sequel or a part 2 you might say that Jesus is still active in and through the church by the power of the holy spirit you see that as acts begins and as we come to the close of acts chapter 9 Again, we, we recognize there's a major milestone in church history approaching in Acts 10. 
the last verse in Acts chapter 9, if you just look at that, that verse Steve read for us, Acts 9.43, and Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. This is, this is introductory. This is, this is where we're going to end up next. We're going to see Peter there in Joppa, and the Lord's going to come and visit him in a special way, and he's going to meet up with Cornelius, and the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. But Jesus has told his disciples, in Matthew 28, when he says, Go therefore and make disciples, he closes this, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I see Peter here is very aware of the fact that Jesus is with him as he's traveling. Jesus is with him. And he's he's with us today as well. Even to we have it says in uh, Hebrews thirteen five, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We're, we're to know that about God. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. In Revelation uh, chapter one, it uh, John is given these visions of uh, of stars held in the hand of this of this one who is Jesus and. This one is walking around among seven golden lampstands, and those seven golden lampstands are seven churches. So Jesus is there, present in the church. He is present. He's a present Savior. He's present. The Savior among the saints. I'm talking this morning about recognizing the presence and power of Christ among the saints. It would be a comfort and a blessing for this, the believers in the first century to know that Jesus was with them as they moved forward, wouldn't it? Patrick was sharing a bit of his story about a long hiking trip he was on this, this last week and pretty exciting details, but in, in what he was sharing, he was talking about the fact he recognized that God was with him along the way. As he, as he prayed to the Lord, the Lord was answering his prayer. He recognized that the Lord was with him along the way. It would be a comfort for us to know that and a blessing for us to know that Jesus was with him, was with us rather as we move forward in life, wouldn't it? That Jesus, as the head of the church, was present among, present among us as well. That Jesus, whom they could not see physically, and whom we cannot see physically, can make his presence known. Jesus, whom we cannot see physically, can make his presence known known it's not a small thing it's a big thing so a few ways in which I see that in this text and the first one is in the recognitions the recognitions plural of Peter verses 31 through 34 and I'll just read them again. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up. In verse 31, we were in that verse last week, we saw that rest had come to the church. Rest from the struggles that were coming 
from without, rest from persecution. And there was peace within the church. And the church was being built up, not torn down. And was walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So it continued to increase. This is a picture of a healthy church. That verse, verse 31, is the picture of a healthy church. And Peter recognizes an opportunity here. While the church has rest, in verse 32 it says, Now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, Peter recognizes an opportunity after Christ had risen from the dead. i got to these notes again. After Jesus rises from the dead, he restores Peter, right? And when he does that, what does he, what does he say to him? He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's thinking, well, you know I love you, Lord, right? He, he responds to Jesus in that way. And Jesus says to Peter, feed my lambs. And then Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me? The first time he says, do you love me more than these? The second time, do you really love me? Peter says, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep or tend or shepherd or rule over my sheep. He's talking about pastoral oversight. And when Peter writes 1 Peter 5, 2, I think he thinks back to that because he writes to the elders there and he says, shepherd the flock of God among you. And then the third time, Jesus says to him, feed my sheep or pasture my sheep. Provide care for my sheep. And here, when we get to Acts chapter 9, in verse 32, it says, now as Peter was traveling through all those regions... Peter's about the Master's business. He's doing what the Lord told him to do. He's on the job. He takes the initiative. As as Peter passed throughout, he's traveling, but he's traveling with purpose. It was mentioned in Sunday school this morning when we're interacting with unbelievers to be very intentional. Peter is being intentional here. He's going to strengthen the churches. There's a church there at Lydda. If you just look at the actions of Peter in these verses, if, if your Bible's open, look at the actions, just the action words of Peter in these 11 verses. Verse, starting at verse 32, it says, Now Peter was traveling. It says he came. In verse 33, it says, he found. In verse 34, it says, Peter said to him. That's to Aeneas. Let's get down to verse 39. Peter arose and went. Verse 40, Peter sent them all out. Same verse, verse 40. Peter knelt down. Same verse, Peter prayed. Same verse, Peter said, he said. Verse 41, and he gave her his hand. Same verse, at the end of that verse 41, he presented her alive. In verse 43, Peter stayed many days in Joppa. There's all this action Peter is involved with. It's just sounded like I'm reading a bunch of action words, right? But it's, but it's intentional. All this stuff that Peter's involved with, he's not involved with if, with if there's not a risen Savior present with him, guiding him, directing him. He's not involved with any of this. He's going on what Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. He's doing that. Now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived 
at Lydda. All this activity in Peter's here and now. My question is, do you think Peter knows that Jesus is with him? I think so. All this activity, why would he be involved with all this, all these things? And Peter has a destination in mind. He's going to Lydda, but it's not so much a geographical location, is it? He came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. He's coming to the saints. His position on a map isn't as important as, as getting to where the believers are. And our position on a map isn't as important as our position in Christ. He's going to visit the saints in Lydda. That's where he's going. Your, geo- your geography, rather, is not as important as your theology, you might say. Or your location is not as important as your destination. You might say it that way. Where is Peter going and why is he going there? He's going to Lydda. It's a geographical place, but he's going there to visit the saints. Make no mistake, Lydda is an actual place on a map. It's 10 or 12 miles east of Joppa. Joppa's on the coast. We know that Joppa is the place where um, Jonah fled to so he'd go to Tarshish, right? It's right on the sea. It's 20 or so miles west of Jerusalem. It's a small town. It was first built by a descendant of Benjamin. There's still a city there today. I think there's a major airport in that city. It's called Lod or Lud or something like that. In the third century, there was a saint named George. The Catholic Church calls him Saint George. He would be a saint if he was a believer. But he was from there and he was buried there. He was killed for refusing to deny Jesus. And Peter comes and visits the saints. They are saints by connection to Christ. They're not saints by canonization. They're not saints because a man decided this is a saint. They're saints because of their connection to Christ. They're consecrated to God, holy, sacred. A holy, sacred group of people set apart for the Lord. Saints by position in Christ and called to be saints. We are called to be saints, to live up to that position as well. But that's his destination. He's going to see the saints who lived at Lydda. I'm not so sure if Lydda wasn't full of these saints, he'd go to Lydda for any other, unless he was evangelizing, he wouldn't be going to Lydda. He's going to visit the saints there. And while he's there, in verse 33, Peter, talking about recognizing the presence of Christ in the body of Christ. Peter recognizes the need while he's there. There he found a man, it says in verse 33. There he found a man named Aeneas. Now, if the there is there among the saints, or there at Lydda, or both, I don't know. I happen to think this man is a believer. I happen to think that. So there among the saints, Peter finds this man named Aeneas. He has a long-term condition that his whole life. He had been bedridden for eight years. And Peter is has compassion for this man. Peter has compassion for this man. Would you say prior to Christ's resurrection Peter would have been known for his compassion? I wouldn't either. Peter would have been known for a lot of things but not necessarily for his compassion. 
now that Christ is raised and Peter has the indwelling Holy Spirit, Christ is present with him through the Holy Spirit. He has this compassion for this man. He doesn't go to Lydda and seek out the leader of the church or the leader of the town. Well, he might have done that, but we're not told that. What, what Luke includes is that he found a man named Ananias who had been bedridden eight years for he was paralyzed. This is so much like Jesus. Christ is present in the life of Peter. That's what I'm trying to say. In verse 34, we see that Peter recognizes the presence of the Lord right there with him. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Imagine going someplace, seeing someone bedridden, and saying, Jesus Christ heals you. Peter knows that Jesus is there and that Jesus is healing that. He knows it. There's no doubt about it. This isn't, a, this isn't like a faith healing of today. Peter recognizes the presence of the Lord right there with him. Christ's presence in that very moment. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. This is kind of where the thrust of this message comes from. That Jesus is still present in His church. Now, we're not going to go around and say... Jesus Christ heals you. The apostles were given this healing ministry and a few others as well. But the, the idea, the concept, the reality that Christ is still present in His church is, is what I'm driving at here. He still is present in His church. So we see His presence in the recognitions of Peter. Peter recognizes that he's to be about the Master's business. And he recognizes that there is this man that needs compassion and he recognizes that Jesus is there to heal this man. And he says, get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up. The presence of the Lord is evident in this text in another way, in the restoration of one man. It says there he found a man named Aeneas. In Hebrew, his name might mean misery. In Greek, his name might mean to praise. I kind of like the Greek better to praise. I don't know which. I don't think anyone does. But the healing of Aeneas is something to praise the Lord for, for sure. The Savior who is among the saints is going to restore this man's physical health. I think this guy has already been forgiven. I think he's already a believer. And it says immediately he got up. This is a complete healing from a long-term disease. There is muscle atrophy. Have you ever had a, a limb of any kind that you had had as a sling for a while and you realize that muscle's getting weak and weaker and weaker and weaker? Eight years from muscle atrophy to complete health. This is so similar to Jesus' healing of the paralytic that was lowered down through the roof. I thought it would be important to look at that just briefly in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We'll just look at a couple of verses. Luke 5, 17-26. One day He, that's Jesus, was teaching and there was some 
there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now that should stop us, and it probably has stopped you in the past. This man is looking for a physical healing. His friends are looking for a physical healing, but Jesus is focused on the more important, the spiritual healing this man needs. And Jesus gives it. Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Good question. But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven? You are to say, Get up and walk, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. This is so similar to what Peter is doing. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed, Peter says to him. Get up and make your bed. But I'm talking this morning about the fact that Jesus is still present in His church. He's still present among the saints. The Savior among the saints. And I want to say to you this morning that that is the reality still today because when you came to faith in Christ, when I came to faith in Christ, what happened? Your sins were forgiven, weren't they? And I don't know how it was for you, but I knew it. I knew my sins were forgiven. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. My sins were forgiven. The same Jesus is still forgiving sin. He's present. He, he's, not, he's not like a deist would say about God. He wound things up, hands off. Jesus isn't just wound up the church and set it in motion and He's hands off. He's present in the church. He still forgives sins. He heals this man. When Peter says, Jesus Christ heals you, get up and make your bed. Immediately, he got up. The greatest healing of all is the healing that we need with regard to forgiveness of sin. And Jesus provides, even today, for those who trust in Him, that same healing. This, this narrative, what, what Steve read for us and what we're going through now, this narrative illustrates to us that Jesus is still at work. He's active. He's present. He carries on His work through His church, through the hands of Peter, through the work work, still is at work. The Savior who is among the saints. He's present. And this narrative has two people getting out of bed. One from a, what you might call a sick bed. He was paralyzed. You could call that a sick bed. One from a death bed. That's where we're going next. She was dead and she's going to get up out of that bed. One illustrative of a healing that Jesus provides with regard to spiritual healing. The other illustrative of Christ's power over death. In both cases, Jesus makes His presence Known. He makes His presence known in both cases. So in the raising of this woman, 
Joppa was a disciple named Tabitha. Well, I skipped 35. And all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord of this. Even unbelievers, look at the reactions, even unbelievers recognized this work was done by Jesus because they put their faith in him. They'd be putting their faith in Peter if they thought the work was done by Peter, but the work was done by Jesus. They put their faith in Jesus. And we see people, we share the gospel with people, you see someone coming to faith in Christ, what are they doing? They're putting their faith in Jesus. They're not putting their faith in us. They're not putting their faith their faith in our intellect, our ability to reason with them perfect. They're putting their, their faith in Jesus. They turned, they turned to the Lord. They had a change of direction. Okay, in the raising of this woman, seeing the presence of the Lord in His church in the raising of this woman. Uh, verse 36 tells us about this woman. Now in Joppa, there was a... We get her name. And we, I, we find out she's a believer. She's a disciple. Which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity which she continually... Did she had a ministry? She was abounding. She was full of good works and charity, alms giving or alms doing. These are things she did. She continually did. This I think is the gift of help. She was a gifted believer. She was gifted with a gift of helps to relieve, to participate in, or to support those in need. I've heard of the term relief societies. You know, before coming to faith in Christ and after coming to faith in Christ, and I've never seen a relief society really functioning, but you heard that it's a more archaic term. Maybe not to some of you, but to me it sounds that way. But that would be that. This this gift of helps. Dorcas was like that. You might say she was in charge of a relief society, or she was a, a one-woman relief society. Was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. This is a marvelous sister in Christ. And she had impacted the lives of so many people. She was continually doing these things. In verse 39, it says, So Peter arose and went with them. And when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. There are women attesting to the labor of love that this woman was involved with. At her funeral, they're attesting to how marvelous this woman was to them, how dear she was to them. They recognized the presence and power of Christ in her life. They were able to recognize that. But she gets sick. Believers are not immune to getting sick, right? And it happened at that time she fell sick and died. Believers aren't immune to death either. Apart from the Lord's return, none of us are getting out of here alive. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. And the disciples sent for Peter. Verse 38, Since Lydda was near Joppa, about 10 or 12 miles away, the disciples having heard that Peter was there, sent two, two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. I don't know what they're thinking Peter's going to do. I, you, think, you read that, and maybe you have the same thought I do. Are they thinking that Peter's going to come and he's going to be able to raise this woman from the dead? I kind of think that's not necessarily what they're thinking. But to provide some relief or some comfort, some word from the Lord, maybe? 
whatever they're hoping to get from Peter, they would know that it was Jesus back of that, right? That Jesus was guiding Peter to help in any way he could. They recognized the presence of Jesus in Peter's life. And so Peter steps into this scene, and so do we, this scene of grief. Peter rose and he went. He just goes and he arrives, and we've already read that. And there they are, weeping and crying. This grief over a great loss. And are these women thinking, hey, if this woman can die, what about me? She's a believer. If this believer can die, what about me? Hard, hard to sum up all the thoughts that might be going on there. But in verse 40, it says this, But Peter sent them all and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now this is so similar to other accounts of people being raised from the dead. There are not that many Scripture. Elijah with the widow's son. Elisha with the Shunammite's son. Jesus with Lazarus in John chapter 11. And I want to say here that Lazarus is not an illustration of salvation. It's an illustration of resurrection. It's not an illustration given to talk about how one might be saved. It's an illustration given to talk about the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's the very thing He says to, uh, is it Martha or Mary? I forget now. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. All those things, all the to a resurrection from the dead. She was physically dead, Tabitha was, and she's going to come to life. He presented her alive in verse 41, and he gave her his hand and raised her up and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa and many the tanner named This thing became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. He presents her alive. The point to this message this morning is I looked at this text. I wrestled with where to go with it. I want you to know that. There's some facts here. There's, there's a destination Peter has. We see him traveling. And in these travels, and in what he's involved with, and in back of that, in back of this healing of this man, and even directly, not even in back of it, Jesus Christ heals you. And in back of this raising up of, of Tabitha is Jesus. Is the presence of the Lord among his people, that's what's in back of it. And nothing has changed. What has changed? Other than the fact we're not going around doing healing ministries, unless the Lord gifts you in that way, I suggest you don't start doing that. But what has changed? Nothing. This morning, He walks among the churches. He's in this place this morning. And sometimes you wonder, well, why would He be here? Or why would he be at the other church? Or that's where he's at. That's where his concern is. He's there with his people. He's here with us. He's concerned for his people. He's concerned for what goes on in the church. If you looked in Revelation and see him walking around among those seven golden lampstands, you get to Acts, Revelation chapter 2, and it talks about what he's doing there. I am the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands and I have this to say to you. There's no one more concerned for the church than Jesus. He's present in His church. He's present among the saints. He's present with us. And it's evident 
in the individual believers, in the saints, it is evident as, as we minister to one another, as we serve one another, His presence is evident. We cannot physically see Him even though now you even though you do not see him now, you love him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, it says in Scripture. And we are, but we can recognize his presence among us in the ministry that the church is involved with, in the things that the church is doing. When we see people come to faith, when we see someone growing in their relationship with the Lord, when we see someone taking the Word of God and applying it to their life. That's what we were talking about in Sunday school this morning. How can you be more effective in sharing the Gospel? To be impacted so much by the Word of God, it's what comes out of you in word, in deed, in action, in prayer. Christ's presence is among His church. That hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. I know that's a simple thought, but I think it's a profound thought. It's what I wanted to bring to you this morning. Let me close with a word of prayer. and I think we have one more hymn. Heavenly Father, I want to thank You for this truth that Jesus is with us this morning. Help us to grab hold of that truth. Help us to appreciate it for all it's worth. Help us to recognize that there's no place we go from Your presence, no place we can go from Your Spirit. And even more wonderful than that, You're with us. You're for us. You're not against us. In Jesus' presence is We praise Your name for that truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.